Welcome back again to the Free Thought Project podcast. This is John Vibes, um, joined as usual by Matt Savoy and Jason Bassler. And before we get started, as usual, I'm going to bother you about giving us some rating, reviews, and subscribes over on iTunes, your podcast player of choice, YouTube. Right now, we got looks like 50 awesome people put down reviews on iTunes for us. Uh, from the rumors I hear, we need to get around a thousand till we start getting in uh, trending feeds and stuff like that so if you're out there it would be awesome if you could help us out by you know giving us one of those reviews five stars is what helps us uh but today we're going to get into the culture war as kind of a distraction from the real issues that are going on along with all the censorship of course that we always kind of have as a backdrop our talks because that's the situation that we're fighting right now but our conversation behind the scenes when we were talking about what to do for the podcast kind of started around this podcast with tim pool joe rogan jack dorsey from twitter and one of his lead technicians that is involved with basically their censorship regime and it was a huge missed opportunity because the whole thing was just about this culture war bullshit, you know, dead naming, trans people, hate speech, all this stuff. And of course, these are issues to be discussed, but it's a very easy scapegoat to dismiss. It's like, oh, those are just those hateful Nazis, this and that. And most mainstream people will just totally offhand disregard that. You know, there there could have been a legitimate conversation about the anti-war activists the police brutality activists, you know, um, there could have been a conversation about that, but there wasn't, not even one mention. And he has a history in those circles, you know what I mean? We've had many mutual friends and encounters. He knows exactly what is going on. We even reached out to him. Uh, so it's it's kind of weird. It's It's kind of disappointing. And it really is just indicative of what's been happening in general in this whole conversation because there's a lot of people who are doing real good work out there trying to bring an end to this empire situation that is destroying this world like that is the issue all these dumb first world problem type issues that people are arguing about that have taken center stage really are not important but that's what everybody's paying attention to meanwhile you know, anti-war stuff is being censored out of existence. And this guy on this podcast who was supposed to be a representative for our communities, who even, I guess, considers himself somewhat of a leftist, was just kind of acting like a alt-right spokesperson the whole time. And I'm not saying that their free speech shouldn't be defended, because it should, because there's a slippery slope with that. But still, it, it was a massive uh, disappointment. I know... Uh, 
Jason didn't get a chance to check it out yet, but I know, Matt, you did. Um, What are your thoughts uh, after seeing it? Man, it was entirely frustrating the whole time. Uh, I mean, Tim Pool started out just playing the victim that, uh, you know, that... So, yeah, I found the entire podcast just really frustrating, and it was um, uh, essentially Tim Pool was playing competitive victim as... Like he likes to accuse these other people of being the acting like the victims. I mean, he was being the the victim of the alt right, and he was essentially just advocating that Twitter it was doesn't ban left wingers as much as they should. <laughs> I mean, essentially, you know, instead of uh, instead of pointing out anything of substance, he made it about you know he he kind of jumped on twi- uh, Twitter's head of uh, of policy. Um, he jumped on her for because. They go after people who misgender folks, like you said. And for those that doesn't don't know what misgender means or dead naming, it's uh misgendering is is like calling somebody a a man if they're a woman, you know. And then dead naming is calling somebody by their name that they no longer go by because they now identify as a different person or a different gender. These things are considered hate speech on Twitter, and it can get you banned. And I mean. Like like Vive said, this is you know this is that's some serious stuff, and it could really affect people, and it could make them you know depressed or commit suicide or something like that. And um, it's it's a big problem, but it's definitely not the major problem with what's going on on Twitter. This is a minority of people that this is happening to, and it's easy to it's easy to go after people and ban those people like that. They're not there's there's clearly not a problem. You know they are going after people. They're stopping the abuse if they find this misgendering or whatever abusive then they then they put strikes against these people's accounts but they played uh, like again just like the first episode with jack dorsey on joe rogan it was again softball you know they pretended to ask these hard questions but essentially just shilled for the for the alt-right i mean it's true the alt-right is censored more on twitter because it's the people that uh that staff twitter are actually you know they all most of them lean left Jack Dorsey actually admitted this yesterday and said that it's been harder on the conservatives than they have been on liberals. And the problem is not going hard on anybody. The problem is that while this debate is going on over who is getting censored more, people who are opposing real solutions to our problems like war and um, invading other countries and regime change, they're also being censored. And they had no voice yesterday on Joe Rogan's, or not yesterday, but on Monday on, on the podcast. It was... Uh, utter disappointment to sit there and watch these people complain that they're being censored and and that they you know oh we 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 want to we want to have our right to call trans people her and him and and no one once mentioned the fact that you know Caitlin Johnstone she's a huge anti-war advocate she was censored no one mentioned anything about uh police accountability activists like us like the police to police page that was that was deleted with no strikes or the free thought project who had never had a strike ever was pulled with no reason and we had no ability to ever appeal that decision and all of these things that were far bigger issues in my opinion than alt right people fighting for their ability to call people by their born sex you know that's that's essentially what the conversation was about yesterday it was it was highly disappointing and it just it serves as a big distraction and now people like this that that podcast like i think that joe rogan had good intentions behind it by going out there and saying that they wanted to attack this and the censorship and everything but they they totally didn't they they missed the mark on that because they they didn't attack any of the actual censorship that actually is censoring content that matters the most you know in my opinion like anti-war police state agendas and and things like that That's what we're having this conversation about today.
like Vibe said, I didn't. I haven't had a chance to actually listen to the interview yet. I think it's only a couple days old. So full disclosure, yeah, I'm not going to comment on any of that aspect of anything. You know, I've met Tim Pool before. I was actually uh, with him in Ferguson. I'm Facebook friends with him. No disrespect intended towards him, but has Tim Pool experienced any sort of censorship? Has he lost any of his fans or followers? You know, to the best of my knowledge, he hasn't. So it's no, just but he didn't really... get the people who threatened him didn't get censored enough, and that's what he was harping on all all the whole podcast yesterday was that the people that that were talking to him weren't being censored like they should be. That's essentially what I got from that podcast. It just uh, confuses me. You know, really is strange that Joe Rogan's producers would choose him to be a representative for those of us experiencing censorship. Uh, It it seems kind of like a joke. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's insightful. Uh, He's been doing this for long enough to kind of understand. But, you know, we, we lost 6 million fans in one day due to censorship. We were targeted by Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter all on the same day. So, I mean, how is that not significant? How is that not something that's even worth mentioning? How come this isn't something that isn't being talked about by both alt and the mainstream media or people like Joe Rogan? You know, personally, I'm a little bitter and frustrated with Joe Rogan. A few days after we were censored, he had a guest on, Kyle Kalinske, and they actually talked about Police the Police and the Free Thought Project, anti-media, for about a half hour. They were going into detail about it. I mean, they mentioned their name several times. Rogan mentioned their name several times. We reached out to them multiple times trying to get a hold of their producers. I had several people tell me, you know, I, I have an inside connection. I'll get you hooked up with Joe Rogan. None of those uh, connections ended up coming through for us. Uh, so to me personally, I, <laughs> maybe the whole reason why I haven't watched it yet is because I am a little bitter. I am a little frustrated. You know, he they specifically spoke of us and our organizations as people who have been affected by the censorship, yet they don't bother to reach out. They don't bother to answer our, our emails. Uh, you know, we, we even had a campaign where we had our Facebook group message their producers to try to get their attention. And I guess that wasn't enough. I mean, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm sure they have plenty of people trying to reach out to them to try to get on the show. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's overwhelming. But we have insight on this. We have the experience. We've been through this stuff so much for the last three years. It would have been a great opportunity to really get into detail and really flush all that out. But instead, we got Tim Pool on there. Like I said, no disrespect, but come on, let's have a conversation instead of playing softball. Yeah, and and the way they explained uh, bands like these permanent bands like by Milo Yiannopoulos and and Alex Jones, they explained like a whole series of these strikes that they had given these these accounts. You know, they they were warned several times, and they continued to violate the policies. And um, I wasn't unaware of their histories or whatever, but um, I mean, whatever they did, it still didn't sound like they should be permanently banned forever. You know, but. Anyway, they were given multiple strikes on multiple different occasions for years. And um and then they were finally, you know, permanently banned from the platform. And this did not happen at all with us. You know, we've never gotten a strike ever on Twitter. Nothing nothing ever happened to us on Twitter. I mean, we were we were, our, our pages were small there too. We had a very small presence and we never did anything. And and yet we're hearing uh, you know, from all these other people who like the Disney executive who tweeted image of putting p- kids in a wood chipper and, and asked for the death of these, uh, you know, these these Catholic school kids and stuff. He he, this kid, this guy called for the slaughter of children, and he was 
essentially just the, the tweet was uh just the tweet was removed and he he was putting like a little baby timeout is how they said it you know they joked of like i play the mom you know i had to put him in a timeout for calling for the deaths of children of innocent children i had to put him in timeout we never fucking called for the deaths of fucking children man what the fuck dude we were we were pulled i'm not i'm not compl- i don't want to sound like i'm a, like i'm complaining here but i'm just sh- just showing the the utter double standard when it comes to what the like how weak their conversation was yesterday and how uh unimportant these people are compared to the movement that was completely wiped off of Twitter and Facebook in October of last year the fact that these people you know they're 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 griping over these little bitty stupid jokes and things and and they're all getting these warnings and all that and you know we all we did was preach peace and we were completely wiped off the platform both platforms and almost YouTube and and no one and they didn't want to talk about that. Instead, they wanted to talk about being able to call people her or him or she or female um, because they've had a sex change and they don't want to get banned for that. What do you think about that, John? Whenever you heard him describing the 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 reasons for Milo and, and Alex Jones's bannings, how did you feel? Did you? I mean, did it, did you think about that immediately about oh, our yeah, situation? I mean- it was ridiculous because I, I knew that we never had any strikes and I knew that we, we really didn't do anything wrong. And it was obviously a politically motivated situation that was not not politically in the sense that they were speaking. It was it was more political in this anti-establishment nature. And it's like weird because even Abby Martin, she's been on that show. She's good friends with that. She's in their bubble. You know, we're not in their bubble. I think that has a lot to do with why uh, we get pushed to the side a lot of times. But she is in their bubble. She has been censored for a whole bunch of anti-war stuff. That wasn't mentioned either. And I, I think that that is, is really crazy. All the instances that they were talking about was just stuff that was very, very easy to defend. And it really didn't go to the overarching theme of, of anti-establishment views being wiped off. There was a point where um, it, it was just like a five-second exchange between uh, Dorsey and Rogan where he said, uh, he's like, wasn't there a whole bunch of other pages, too, that were associated with Alex Jones, he said? And then, the, and then a bunch of people uh, are, and then, yeah, a bunch of pages got wiped out or something. And then Dorsey just responded, oh, well, we think that they were... They had coordinated unauthentic behavior. And then they just right on moved on to the next topic, no discussion, anything. Or they kept on beating the dead horse of the dead naming and and all that. I might be a little biased, right, obviously, because this is our life's work. This was our pages and accounts. But as far as I know, we were the first organization to be wiped off of Facebook, Twitter on the same day. In history, that's the first time it's ever happened. If any of our listeners know of that not being correct, please let us know. Because that's, wasn't as it, far as wasn't I know, it with Alex Jones? Didn't he have a similar situation? Wasn't he um, removed from the platforms within like a twenty-four hour period? Or no? Or am I wrong in that? No, I think Twitter it, was trying to be uh, the last holdout and give him another opportunity. Oh yeah, uh, you're right. They, he was it, on Twitter for weeks like, after. Yeah, I think about a month after his initial uh, <laughs> censorship. A bunch of other sites banned him at the same time, but then Twitter was the holdout, and then they banned him like a week later or something like that. But then we came like two, two, maybe a month or two after that, it was us. 
but it, and it, but it wasn't just us. It was like, you know, 800 people at the same time. Right. That's important to clarify that as well. But I don't know if those other 800 people were also knocked off of Facebook and Twitter. I think we were one of the very few organizations that experienced that both at the same time, anti-media being another one. And just to touch back on what you were saying, inauthentic coordinated behavior, this is just one of their terms that they've kind of used and they've kind of created to move the goalposts. And I think another one would be hate speech. So whenever they want to remove somebody from their platform, they don't have to show any evidence. They don't have to show any proof. They could literally just say these, these terms and that's enough apparently. It doesn't matter if there was any inauthentic coordinated behavior. If anything, that would have applied more to Facebook for us than Twitter. We never retweeted. We never did anything on Twitter. Like Matt said earlier, we had, I think, around 13,000 followers on Twitter. We had about 11,000 followers on Police to Please before they were taken down. So those aren't significant enough numbers to really do much as far as reaching people in mass on Twitter. Either way, we weren't partnered up with any other organizations. We weren't doing anything wrong to violate their terms of service, yet we were still taken down. And just like Facebook, we got the same excuse and authentic coordinated behavior. You know, it's just their excuses. They're fancy words. They're put together. They don't have any legitimate meaning, but it sounds very complicated. It sounds like something that people can't quite understand, but that's enough to give them a reason and understanding as to why that these pages and accounts were taken down. And if you start looking into it further, if you want any type of proof or explanation, well, good luck. You're out of luck. Tough shit. I feel like these companies are a bunch of frauds. I've been saying that for months now. There is no uh, desire to actually have people connect or share information while they're taking your information. And, you know, as we, we've said before on this, this podcast, you know, if, the product's free. You are the product. I think at this point, these people are the robber barons of this generation. Now they're backpedaling, having to make up excuses as to why they're pushing out certain types of demographics or ideologies. But realistically, what they really want is their information. Well, yeah. And there was something else that was really telling about the conversation, too. And they brought up the question of, well, why does why do people have to be banned permanently? And this um, Ministry of Propaganda that Jack Dorsey had next to him was like, she said, oh, well, so what do you think? Like uh, a year, a five-year ban, 10-year ban? And, and, he, and I think Rogan gave a little bit of pushback and was like, no, I'm saying maybe a jury or something. Maybe uh, somebody gets, getting to plead their case that you were actually wrong about your decision." And that was not even in their realm of thinking. Once they were pressed on it, Dorsey kind of did be, you know, say, oh, well, that might be a good idea. Because he, he did seem very, um, and it was, it was probably a total PR thing, uh, but he did seem like very kind of remorseful and, and willing to change and stuff like that. Although, of course, it's, it's, it's just PR bullshit. You could really tell that just they have this idea of once they ban somebody, somebody has broken their, their terms of service, and that's the end of it. So there needs to be a discussion about why isn't this allowed on this platform. And the other thing that they mentioned that I found interesting was that it is a violation of their policy to take a screenshot of why you were banned 
and then repost it once you get allowed allowed back on. That's called like ban evasive behavior or something like that. Just if you're trying to, and then and then there was pushback on that. Like, hey, what if they're trying to protest that they're they're getting knocked off for bullshit reasons? What else are they supposed to do? And then they were like, oh well, we can't just have people on our platform doing that. I mean, it, what about trying to trying to warn other people as well? Warn your friends who happen to have Twitter accounts or Facebook pages. You know, a lot of this stuff is so arbitrary that most of the time we have no idea what we're even getting banned for. And then they show you an example of why you're banned, and you're in such disbelief that you're almost in shock. You're like, wow, like I need to share this with people. It seems so short-sighted to me. Yeah, and I think that there's there's probably a reason why they refuse to talk about the anti-establishment or anti-war outlets that are banned like that, like us. And I think that has something to do with the Atlantic Council. Twitter also has a relationship, just like Facebook, with Digital Forensics Lab, that the arm of the Atlantic Council that they hired to do their censorship for them. And so perhaps the the reason that they they fail to talk about any of this is probably because it's I'm sure it's all secret and it's not allowed to be talked about or anything like that because then they would reveal their information war and their control over all this information. You know, that that seems to be the the underlying factor as to why we're you know, we've been pushed into this memory hole here. You know, that's the that's the common denominator between Facebook and Twitter, and it, and it, is, it explains why we were banned on the same day without any... Well, from Twitter, we got zero reason, but uh, Facebook said it was the coordinated inauthentic behavior. But I think that's the common denominator, and I think that's why the Jack Dorsey and his, um, you know, his minister of propaganda, I like that vibe, tried to keep the conversation softball and keep it in that realm of, of left versus right, or, um, you know, people who want to make fun of transgenders versus people who are being made fun of by others and stuff like that. I think that's the reason why they they keep it in that. And like you said, yeah, they touched on that for just a second. Dude, he mentioned uh, coordinated inauthentic behavior and then just like just went on, you know, from that. I was like, holy shit, are they about to talk about that? Nope. <laughs> nope, no, they're not. They can't do that. So I think that's why we're we're seeing this um, complete avoidance of that discussion going on anywhere in that realm you know once they do that then they admit that they're allowing another a government entity to make these calls for them and so maybe we didn't violate any i mean we didn't violate any of twitter's policies i know we didn't and so they can't give us a reason because they didn't make that decision you know the atlantic council made that decision and they decided that we challenged their version of history too much and we needed to be silent so they made that decision that's i mean i don't have proof of that but that's what makes perfect sense to me well i mean let's be clear that the whole atlanta council relationship is public there there were press releases about that so we're we're not stretching on any of that that is a completely real thing uh but it it does surprise me that the Atlanta Council wasn't brought up by somebody like Tim Poole, who fancies himself a, a socialist of some sort. You would think that this big military-industrial, big pharma think tank would be on his radar. That, this, that is controlling the, the censorship regime. 
And as far as the whole inauthentic behavior, that was all even wrapped up into the whole Alex Jones thing. They didn't even say, oh, well, this was hundreds of different people and dozens of different organizations that were involved with this. I wouldn't be surprised if in the coming years we do see some information surface about how there was some manipulation going on behind the scenes with Facebook and Twitter and some pressure uh, with the Atlantic Council and the government to have them censor certain organizations, especially anti-establishment, anti-state organizations like ourselves. And if any of you are listening who happen to be working for Twitter or Facebook, blow the whistle. If you have information that's actually going to confirm a lot of these suspicions, do us all a favor. Now is the time. The world needs to know about this. Yeah, and actually on that point, I will say, if, if you were having any second thoughts, go and scroll down Edward Snowden's Twitter feed from this week, and he said something like, he always thinks back on, you know, the day that he, he took that information and gave it to the world, and the only thing that he regrets about it is that he didn't do it sooner. So it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, I, I, back on the Atlantic Council, I want to point that out, that the... They, they, Twitter and Facebook, like within a, a few weeks of us being um, banned, you know, there were pieces in, in the Washington Post, New York Times and such, where they actually, the Atlantic Council actually released statements talking about how they removed hundreds of accounts. You know, they, these, they said that these accounts were like Iranian or Russian troll farms. And, um, and so that was how they were able to stomp out the narrative that, you know, that, that Americans were being censored on the platform. They, they tied us in with all the, with, with Russian troll farms and, and Iranians. And I've never been to either one of those countries, you know, but, uh, that's the, like, that's what we're dealing with here is, is, and that's admitted. I mean, this is not some conspiracy theory. This is not us guessing, you know, this is, this is statements from, uh, the, the director and managing editor of the digital forensics research lab, which is the Atlantic council, you know, saying that they 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 had to m- remove hundreds of accounts and from these platforms, and and I'm guessing that Twitter has no input on that whatsoever. I'm guessing that they had to sign their soul away to the U.S. government and allow this to happen, and then we were told that they formed these partnerships based out of like a mutual concern for you know for keeping people safe online. But I think that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm pretty sure that the like if I were to have to guess, I would guess that. These, the Atlantic Council was mandated for both Twitter and probably YouTube too and Facebook to form this partnership with. And then they released this press statement that they joined forces with them. But um, I'm guessing that's to- that was totally involuntary and that's why th- they have no choice and say so of- over any of these bannings or shadow bans or, or complete like removal or d- disappearance of, of platforms like this. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I, I, you could tell that there there is this definite agenda on all of these platforms to now adhere to the traditional narrative on everything. So another thing, I'm not sure if we mentioned this last week, but in recent weeks, um, Facebook put out a press release saying that they were going to invest money in traditional media that's dying, you know, because they suck and because their jobs are getting taken 
by people who actually give a damn and who are putting in work to give real information to people. I, I think that's an important point, Vibes. Like, why would they invest in trying to to boost the the traditional media when it's clear that it's dying? I mean, this is the market in action, right? Yeah, exactly. And then this week we saw they they all NBC and these weird local channels started getting the golden algorithm on all these stupid articles you, you know what i mean and so now we see maybe that is what that investment money was entailing maybe they were giving them uh, some kind of hidden sponsorship deal where they're getting boosted but you're not seeing that it's getting boosted because there was stuff in my timeline that i have no connection to at all whatsoever and it was all mainstream stuff uh, you know, so I I think that we're in a period right now where the mainstream is, and I, I probably said this on the show like a million times. The mainstream is regaining control of the narratives on the internet, and they're doing it quite ferociously. You could see it with the the anti-vax issue right now, and how people are fucking freaking out about that. And there's all these. Their turn. I mean, I I know a guy, a, a a person who's actually becoming a good friend of mine. How his family is being torn apart right now by this uh, this whole propaganda thing that this media uh, circus that's happening, and that is uh, the brother of the kid who's being paraded around on the media. Um, you know, because he rejected his parents' views and went ahead and got a vaccination and stuff like that. We're, we're seeing this ferocious media attack on all of the narratives that we have disrupted over the past decade, regardless of what your opinions are on them. There, there needs to be a conversation, and we have had a conversation over the past 10 years about a whole bunch of different things, and they want that one-size-fits-all, safe-for-the-establishment kind of narrative to be what people are consuming. And the vast majority of people now get their news on the internet, not from the traditional sources. So in order to stay alive, they got to fight. And this is, I think this is some of the first serious retaliation that we're seeing from the traditional media. And your your observations are absolutely correct, Vibes. It used to blow me away back in 2015, 2016, when I would go to a mainstream Facebook page like MSNBC or Fox, and I would see how low their engagement was. There was hardly any likes. There was barely any comments or shares. They were putting out just plain vanilla information that nobody really cared about. And then I'd look at our numbers or numbers from the anti-media or the Mind Unleashed, some of these bigger pages that had momentum because people actually value that information, and the engagement was through the roof. So we were voting with our engagement, voting with our likes, shares, and comments to show who was actually gaining momentum and who was gaining steam as far as media organizations go. And Facebook, as soon as the 2016 fake news uh, propaganda started to roll out, they turned that on its head completely. And now if you go to any of these mainstream pages... Their numbers are through the roof. I mean, their videos, even if it's just mundane video about nothing important, nothing exciting whatsoever, they have millions of views. We know that we've seen enough information to, to verify that there are throttles being put on various 
pages and organizations to actually slow down the engagement on posts, which once again, these people are frauds at these social media companies. Why would they want to do that? The whole point of social media is to share information, to have conversations about these topics. Instead, they're putting the brakes on them so people like our fans can't see our posts anymore after they've voluntarily signed up to see our posts. They've subscribed to them by hitting like and follow. Yeah, I think that um, back to why I think it's being selectively enforced is and why there's this push um, to to keep the conversation into these two realms of the you know the the victims versus the victimizers and the right versus the left. I think it's because the establishment, namely like the the Atlantic Council and these groups that are that actually follow and try to control online narratives. Um, so they could further the the uh, interests of the global industrial war complex and the, the uh, pharmaceutical industrial complex and such. I think that they realized that we were actually winning this information war. You know, these like you said that you would scroll down NBC's or ABC's or Fox News's Facebook page, and they had like twenty five million fans or whatever, and yeah, they'd have fucking five shares on something on some stupid ass article about some stupid ass fucking topic. And, and, you know, we would, we would post a, like what we would get some new information from WikiLeaks and we would throw that out there, dude. And it would get, you know, 40,000 shares or something like that, you know, because there was, there was this desire for that type of information, that the information that was challenging the status quo, that, that challenged the paradigm. And so after Donald Trump was elected, this, they capitalized up on this divide that was, that, that, that election helped stoke between the left and the right. And they kind of, because people are breaking out of this left-right paradigm and seeing the the establishment for what it is, you know, two sides of the same coin, I think that, like, there was there's this active push to get people, like, herded back into this two-party narrative. And, and I think that that's why we see the algorithm even reflecting that. So, like, all these people that um, were essentially no names, you know, in 2016, 2017, or, well, two th- prior to 2016 – and uh, they would they come on now and they come on Facebook and they go on Twitter and they perpetuate the left right paradigm and they are they are thrown to the you know into the golden algorithm where their their posts reach countless amounts of people they they can even there's this one guy I can't remember his name he's he's um he's on Facebook and he claims not to be right or left but he's totally a Trump pumper and he wears his MAGA hat on there. And um, he has like 800,000 followers or something like that. He posts a video on there, dude. It gets fucking 5 million views. He he can even post links to his Patreon on this uh, on his page. I, I've shared screenshots of this on, in our groups before. Guys, if you know what I'm talking about, you could interrupt me and tell me. But So he shares links to his Patreon, and his, those go viral for him on here. You know, because he helps perpetuate the two-party divide. And that's what I think, it. you know, that's where the new algorithm shift has gone. And that's why we're seeing mainstream media boosted too, you know, because they both, all all mainstream media perpetuates two party paradigm. You know, you have Fox News on the right, and you got everybody else on the left. And so there, because I think that that's what maybe this big shift was was an algorithm shift that helped to stoke further divide because people were breaking free from that, and we we can't we can't have that. You know, that's a, that's a danger to the establishment when. When people break free from the left-right paradigm, they begin to question the wars. They begin to question the police state, the drug war, everything else. And that's a danger to those who want to remain in power. So we're now witnessing you know, the inevitable effect of the 
mainstream media coming back with a vengeance against uh, a narrative that breaks through that uh, through that left right bullshit divisive technique. Well, we do know for one thing, and even uh, Dorsey admitted this uh, multiple times in multiple different interviews, it's actually become one of his sound bites from this whole media tour that he's done. And it's that they, as a company, have helped to create and maintain these echo chambers that exist right now. So it's not a question of whether they're responsible for it it, it the the question is definitely whether it was intentional you know what i'm saying that that's that's what i think i'm i'm definitely curious about but we do know that over the past couple of years that the algorithms have fed into the divide you know what i'm saying and the i'm i'm not a, a ai expert you know what i mean so i can't i can't really predict exactly what the mechanics are behind that like you know how i mean i can't prove that it's deliberate either but wouldn't that be fucking crazy if the ai was like acting on its own and it's starting this whole fucking shit storm it's (laughs) the ai banned us and ai is starting to you know the ai is trying to create a civil war so it can take over and rule the world (laughs) well i mean you know what would make even more sense though if the atlantic council comes to uh you know, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, and says, hey, we're going to put some technicians uh, with you guys. We're going to develop an a algorithm to get rid of fake news. and Or Russian bots or Iran bots or whatever, yeah. Or, yeah, whatever, fill in the blank. And then, you know, these Atlantic Council technicians, they go in there, they make their algorithm, and that could... I would see... a. a that type of scenario being an intentional, uh, you know, wiping out any kind of anti-establishment content as much as possible and furthering only the most divisive content. Because regardless of, that's that has happened, you know, and I don't think it takes a big leap to get to the, the why and the how of, of that being a possibility. Now, I know that on paper, the Atlantic Council has only been involved uh, with these platforms for, um, you know, I don't know. Less than a year. Yeah, exactly. Publicly. Less but, than a year publicly. But who knows? Yeah, I feel like they've had plenty of time to really strategize and plan how they were going to roll this out. I mean, the Arab Spring was like one of the very first movements, right, when we saw Twitter really being an integral part of the organizing and uh, the protesters taking action. And that was like 2010, 2011. So we started noticing a profound algorithm change around mid to late 2015. So it doesn't surprise me that by 2016, they did want to, they had plenty of time. That's like a good five years to really try to strategize how they were going to roll something like this out to the public. And once again, this is us putting, this is me putting on my tinfoil hat. Part of me feels like the whole fake news narrative came out once the establishment's candidate wasn't elected, uh, which was Hillary Clinton. And at that point, they realized, holy shit, we've lost control over this ship. We need to do whatever we can to get things back. The other part of me kind of feels like this is something that's been in the making for a long time now. 
just the way we're seeing how coordinated, you know, the continuity of how all this is being brought on and, and kind of force-fed to the public. Um, and, you know, they, they saw how powerful the Coplock Facebook page was. I mean, that is probably one of the most, still to this day, insane algorithms and pages I've ever seen that had the most amount of reach. I mean, we were on that page, we were reaching a lot of people, more so than we ever have with Police to Police or the Free Thought Project. And could you imagine somebody like Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg having to explain to the government why there's so many more police accountability activists, why there's so much more pushback against the police state? I don't feel like more government is the answer to this, which a lot of people are pushing for. If anything, this is being caused by the government, by the state, putting pressure on these CEOs and really trying to intimidate them into making these changes voluntarily before the state comes in and does it for them. And who knows, there's plenty of normies out there, right? The mainstream has a profound hold of the American people. So I don't know if that would ever go anywhere, but vocal minority was what we are creating with our information exchange. And we had a pretty adamant following. And who knows what that could have created in the future if we were allowed to continue to do what we were doing. And I feel like they really did fear that. I feel like not only the CEOs, but the state itself feared that in the direction that I was going. Yeah, you mentioned how the, you put your tinfoil hat on and this happened to be like right after this fake news hysteria during the election time and when the establishment's you know darling candidate didn't get in. Uh, it's, it's curious that uh, WikiLeaks, or I mean not WikiLeaks in particular, but in particular uh, Julian Assange, he had a major role in the downfall of Hillary Clinton, you know, with the DNC documents and everything that they were releasing and which was a large part of this, uh, this testimony last week. I mean, WikiLeaks, the, the documents that they dumped, it just showed all these crimes of, of, of Hillary Clinton and put her under spotlight. It showed, then it showed like them interfering in the, their own parties processes and stuff like that. So that was a major part in in getting Hillary Clinton not elected and who was silenced right after the elections. Who was it? It was Julian Assange. Like he, right after Donald Trump was elected, you know, Ecuador moves in and pulls his internet access, and um, even going more tinfoily, you know, the prior to that happening, the Atlantic Council was praising like the the shift in in Ecuador's politics, how they were shifting from like this this democratic regime to like this uh, this heavier right wing regime, and they were they were praising the that that shift and. You know, maybe did they had some influence in Ecuador, and uh, they maybe that they they were responsible for silencing Julian Assange. Julian Assange. Maybe he was punished for for disallowing the establishment to put in their candidate. You know, I mean, this is all speculation. I'm just, but I'm just putting two and two together and connecting dots. And it seems like that's if they're going to go this far and sneak in there and put this software in there or, or create or align themselves and, and insert themselves into these social media companies. I mean, I don't see them grabbing somebody from Ecuador and having them silence Julian Assange is that big of a deal, especially when it's these people that are, that make up the Atlantic council that are like super influencers in them, in the mainstream media and the global industrial war machine and heads of state and all that. It, was, it would probably be, uh, they could probably do it via text, <laughs> you know, silence your silence, Julian Assange that they could send a text like that and that could happen. Um, and I mean, that's just, you know, just backs up the notion that this is uh this is all like a coordinated effort or 
Um, even though we have no proof of that, I'm not. We're not trying to say that you know that there we do have proof of that. It just, I mean, it makes sense, you know. And I mean, there are organizations that connect all these people and all these countries and organizations. You know, there's without getting too deep into the weeds. You know, you got anything from the UN to the Council on Foreign Relations and all of these small little subgroups where these people meet and they have decisions about geopolitics, about propaganda, and and I'm not saying that necessarily in a derogatory way, in the in the purest sense of the term, like how they're they're going to dish out their whatever information they want to put out to people. That's where they come up with these decisions oftentimes. So I think that like you said, uh, uh, they got to know each other's numbers, private emails, things like that. And they have definite enemies, you know, and we're definitely on that list. Obviously, uh, we were one of the first to get taken down when they decided that a midterm election that, you know, we don't even we tell people not to vote. I think that that has a lot to do with it, too. If we were out there saying uh, that Democrats and Republicans should be, you know, shot and pissed on or something like that. We would have gotten the, the the super algorithm and everything would have been great. But instead, we were just saying, "Hey, don't vote. Go out and plant a garden and love your neighbor and we get the axe." Yeah. I mean, we even saw that happen with Alex Jones. I mean, I, on a as much as everybody hates Alex Jones, he's a businessman and he's a smart one, a smart businessman at that. I mean, look at how successful he's been. And that's, I think, that's why he moved. He saw this shift in preference in the media, you know, and, and so, and, and, and algorithms. So he shifted to align himself more with the right wing, perpetuate the two party paradigm, go against everything he's been for the last 20 years, you know. And, um, look what it did. I mean, he, his, his viewership and readership skyrocketed. You know, I mean, I bet their analytics stay at 40,000 people on their website at any given time. You know, that's and it's all because he started pushing this two party paradigm bullshit and and pumping Trump. You know, that's 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 the effect of this, whether it's deliberate or not. We could see that it that it worked. And um, and those who push the two party paradigm are favored and uh, because it's divisive and it distracts from actual any any kind of change before that Infowars shift. I remember looking at their social media and looking at our social media, and there was it was clear that we were starting to kind of take the reins a bit when it came to that type of information. So it doesn't surprise me that he did start going over to the Trump camp and start pushing all that bullshit. Yeah, Infowars used to ag our stuff. They used to they used to copy and paste the articles like on a daily basis, you know, because we were like the we were one of the foremost out outlets for police brutality and police misconduct and so they would they would constantly you know uh copy and paste our articles onto their website and stuff and and then you know all that stopped around 2016 2017 because uh they had to they changed their mission they went from calling out police accountability to saying like you know muslim man hates cops you know <laughs> or or you know they they started attacking people for 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 whatever, for their religion or, or other things like this, that was all the, the two-party divisive bullshit. Yeah, they really took a pretty crazy direction over the years. And it wasn't just them either. It was a whole slew of people from Stefan Molyneux and, you know, there's there's even even some other people who are still in circles that we run in that have kind of jumped on that hype train a little bit, you know, as far as trying to pander 
into the anti-social justice crowd and, and, and because there's it, it just in that culture war, that is where all the attention is. And we are in an attention economy. So I think a really interesting question to leave people off with today is, is an algorithm responsible for the culture war and the current divide that we're all seeing in front of us right now? Uh, I think it's definitely possible. That's a crazy notion to think about, man, that AI could be causing this. And I mean, I mean, essentially, that's what an algorithm is. It's it's artificially intelligent decision makers that uh, that that push situations or decisions one way or another and small tweaks to those algorithms or maybe the algorithms tweaking themselves could could very well be responsible for that. That's a that's a chilling notion man i kind of got when you asked that dude i kind of got goosebumps for a second because it's it's uh i mean that's some dystopian shit right there yeah i think that it's it's definitely something to think about and i don't think that we should take the responsibility away from the programmers of the algorithms either i mean it is ai but it's definitely being fed some behavior instructions (laughs) Totally, like nudged in the right direction, you know, or actually exactly. nudged in the left the direction, direction. If you're if you're if you're the Tim Pool or the Joe Rogan, you know. <laughs> yeah. Back in July, the Free Thought Project site went dark for seventy two hours. Uh, it was our way of kind of warning our audience that eventually we were going to be snubbed out. Eventually, there was going to be a purge. Eventually, all alternative media is going to suffer some types of censorship. So with that being said, seeing that we predicted our own demise, this is only going to get worse if we don't speak out, if we don't stand up and try to make some type of change. Not everybody knows what that looks like, but at the very least, what we could do is start moving to other alternative social media platforms. And they might not have the numbers now, but in the future, they will. And we don't have to be dependent on institutions like facebook and twitter this will be a thing of the past we'll just talk about how bad it once was make no mistake this is going to get worse and it's up to us to start migrating over to minds.com over to MeWe, over to steam it all these other decentralized platforms and unfortunately organizations like our own you know we're trying to wake people up and we're somewhat financially dependent on facebook and the traffic that it reaches but that doesn't mean that we can't slowly start making the process right now and, and making the change. This is only going to get worse. You know, when when you mentioned Facebook, I was just thinking, I, I don't know how this idea popped in, in my head, but, uh, you know, a, as much as Jack Dorsey is a, is a prick and was a bullshit artist on, on that uh, Rogan podcast, I got to give him some credit for at least, uh, you know, kind of be in there could you got just just could you imagine mark zuckerberg on there like sitting there all stiff like sipping his sipping water, his water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that would be priceless man. i don't think that that would ever happen yeah and i i gotta i gotta hand it to jack dorsey too as much as he's a douchebag I, for being able to go on rogan not once but twice you know i mean i'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that rogan is a huge uh or Rather, Dorsey is a huge sponsor of Joe Rogan via uh, via the Cash App because uh, he owns the the parent company uh, Square, and so um, yeah, so I mean he's he's 
Joe Rogan uh, pushing the Cash App is a huge asset for Jack Dorsey, and so that can't be overlooked, you know, for the, for that fact that that that's that's why he's gone on there twice. But he's also engaging in a PR campaign to to better the image of Twitter and. And yeah, I could never imagine Mark Z- Zombie Zuckerberg like he was in those congressional hearings, going on and and being interviewed. I've never actually seen Mark Zuckerberg talking like a, a a casual conversation in the way that they did yesterday and or on Monday and and earlier this or earlier in February. I it's uh it would be really weird to see that happen, but I'd love to watch it. It would be uncomfortable, and I'd probably be cringing the whole entire time. But yeah, I'd love to see it happen. Did you call him Zuckerborg? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was a that was a Freudian slip, man, because he kind of fucking is. <laughs> That's great, Zuckerborg. Yep. Well, uh, I think that's a good place for us to leave off. If uh, you guys don't have anything else to add, I think I'm done complaining and bitching for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, I want to yeah. just let make other or just let our our listeners know that you know like it, it's it might sound like we're complaining we're we're in no way playing the victim or anything else like this we're doing this we're only mentioning these things so we can draw attention to them so they don't continue and so that we know have have ways to defend ourselves against them in the future we're not we're not asking for anybody to step up or for any kind of charity or anything like that we're we're not we don't think that anybody else should be censored harder because we were censored and we don't think that anybody else should be censored at all for that matter. Um, and this, we just want to draw attention to these things. And so because we're, we find ourselves at the center of this, then that's why, that's why we harp on it so much because we think it's very important that these things be brought to a halt or at least very, at the very least be brought up to the attention of other people who may be unaware that it's going on. Yeah, absolutely. We're just documenting uh, this situation that we've been through and, uh, you know, speaking to our experience uh, of these relevant events that continue to pop up and just how, you know, the conversation is developing in a certain way that uh, it doesn't just leave us out. It leaves our audience out as well, because these are obviously the issues that they care about. We'll catch you next time, guys. Peace. Peace. Peace.